This is the Houston Football Show, brought to you by Prime Social Club and Inside Edge, with your hosts, Aaron Wilson and Sean Bajani. All right, here we go, and welcome into another edition of the Houston Football Show. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I'm Sean Bajani from Sports Radio 610. Glad to be here as always. Joined by NFL insider Aaron Wilson, who covers the Houston Texans for KPRC Local 2. Coming up on the show uh, today, we've got uh, what do we expect? What do we need to see from the Houston Texans in the final five games? And an honest question, does it even matter at this point? Also, Ken McNair, right uh, Al McNair snubbing Deshaun Watson this past weekend. We'll get into that. Also, another quarterback change. Is it on the horizon? And Aaron, I kind of want to begin with this one. How safe is Nick Casario? But I want to set it up like this first. Obviously, uh, most people heard already that uh, Tuesday morning, the Titans fired their general manager, John Robinson. He'd been their GM since January of 2016. The move you know, at least everybody that I heard commentary from and talked to came as a shocker. The timing, the decision, uh, two days after the Titans got blown to bits by the Eagles, 35 to 10. But hell, we still lead the AFC South by three games over the Colts. I mean, you can look at his resume over the course of the year since 2016, and, you know, it's not exactly uh, stellar, Aaron, but you tell me, why did the Titans decide to make this move today? Well, there's multiple reasons, and – the most, I think, glaring one was the A.J. Brown trade. Mm-hmm. And that was something that really angered and frustrated Mike Vrabel. But the overarching theme, what I'm hearing about this from multiple league sources, is that John Robinson was let go because he was no longer in alignment with Mike Vrabel. And Mike Vrabel wanted to increase his power. And it's something of a flex for the head coach. And he has the relationship with ownership and they believe in Mike and what Mike, the way he sees the game, the way he motivates and way he leads these guys and develops them. So they decided to go with him. There's no smoking gun, nothing wrong with J Rob. J Rob is really, really good guy. Really well liked. He made some mistakes. And, you know, the funny thing is, yeah, I, I heard that Vrabel didn't want Malik Willis. That was one thing that I heard today. Mm-hmm. That that was you know a selection he wasn't too big on, and then you know there were some other things that came up like Julio Jones. That trade was referenced as as a fail, obviously, and then Isaiah Wilson, who has emotional problems and some addiction issues. They drafted him; he was a complete flake, yeah. and so they busted in the first round with Isaiah, and other teams had him off their draft board because of character issues. So those are some big mistakes, and they weren't the only mistakes he made, but that was uh, a lot of the mistakes that he made that were brought up to me today, and ultimately the disconnect and some of them, you know, obviously he had some successes. They always had a winning record, yeah. and they do play in a weak division, and he did draft Eric Henry. He did a lot of things right. I guess not enough to satisfy Mike Vrabel or ownership, and ultimately – 
it's a performance business. And they didn't think he was performing well enough. They didn't think that he was the guy to lead them into the future. They do think highly of their interim GM, Ryan Cowden. But the biggest thing I heard was that Mike Vrabel will emerge with more power, more juice after this dismissal. Oh boy. And, you know, he's the boss in Nashville. Well, uh, we know a thing or two about what happens when a head coach incurs more power and, you know, in some cases too much power, um, a.k.a. Bill O'Brien. So I just I hope the best for Vrabel because I really like him. But I mean, what an ascension, Aaron, what an ascension for Mike Vrabel within, you know, the coaching carousel of the NFL, you know, to go from a defensive coordinator here in Houston just a few short years ago, and by and large, it was not a successful season for him. Now, granted, he didn't have a lot of great players at that point in time, but, and there was a lot of injury that he dealt with in that particular season that he was a DC, but I mean, my gosh, um, to do what he's done as a head coach for the Tennessee Titans, now to have this sort of uh, power and, you know, to what degree specifically, we don't know yet, just kind of the idea that he is going to incur more power. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, I, I wanted to bring that up, Aaron, because, you know, just to kind of set the stage, because if you're Cal McNair and you're looking at this situation today from his perspective, does he start to doubt Casario's plan? What's that relationship like? I'd be interested to know if you could kind of, you know, maybe as briefly as you possibly can break this down for us. Does he have a full set of keys to the car in Nick Casario? What's the structure and how did it come to be? as we know it from Bill O'Brien to Easterby to now Casario being the common denominator over everything that's happened over the course of the last two seasons. I don't think it's very complicated. I think that, you know, with Nick Casario, they've empowered him to make all of the football decisions and to build the roster. And they know that he inherited a mess and they're very honest and forthright about that. When he took the job, he hasn't done anything to shake their confidence. If anything, they like the way he's patiently handled difficult situations like Deshaun Watson, the way he navigated those choppy waters. Do they think that he's supposed to get every personal decision right? No. They expect him to draft well. He you know, Last year, I think, is, is kind of a wash. Uh, you know, it hasn't looked great. But this year's draft class is promising, especially Damian Pierce. And you know, when you see good Jalen Petrie on Sunday, it kind of reminds you, okay, well, you know, he's yeah. just – He's a little out of control in some of these other games, but he can play. Yeah. And then when you think about, you know, the roster, some of his free agent moves like Jerry Hughes and Steven Nelson also have been good moves or depth guys like Tavier Thomas. Just, you know, it's not like he has a complete dud, you know, of a roster. He's got some players. He just doesn't have enough of them. I think the arrow's up with him. I know that not everyone in town likes, you know, him not doing enough interviews or not answering questions. To me, that is all completely immaterial. That has nothing to do with how he does his job. Mm-hmm. This isn't a popularity contest. This isn't about pleasing anyone. He's polite, and he, you know, he's, I think he's more open than he used to be when he first got the job. But, yeah, that has nothing to do with that. I, I evaluate him solely on the moves he makes, his vision, and I don't understand why you would cut him off after two years just to – clean house and, and start with someone new. Yeah. To me, unless there's some sort of head coach out there you could get without him, that would be almost like a Kyle Shanahan type of, of hire where Kyle's the boss, like, like he is in San Francisco and John Lynch works for him. I don't anticipate that happening. What I anticipate them doing is moving on from Lovey Smith, 
in the entire staff, maybe you cherry pick a few guys like a Frank Ross that, you know, they encourage the new coach possibly to hold on to. And then having a thorough search, possibly looking at offensive coaches like the Lions offense coordinator, Ben Johnson, or the Eagles offense coordinator, Shane Steichen. I could see Brandon Staley, even though he's a defensive coach, getting in the mix. He interviewed very well last time if he's dismissed from the Chargers and if he wants to jump right back in. There are, you know, it's not going to be Sean Payton. He is interested in the Chargers job. Uh, I think that he's going to be a prime candidate with them. I just look at looking for, you know, I think there'll be change, but it's not the change that you're talking about or other people are talking about. And yeah. that, that what I just haven't understood, and maybe I'm just on a different wavelength. I do not care how he answers the questions or about the Thanksgiving thing. I did not understand why that became a thing on talk radio, Sean, you know, and maybe just, you know, they're looking for topics or looking for something. I understand, but I'm pretty, very, I would say focused and what I think matters doesn't matter and how people answer questions or if it's sort of a word salad with some things that doesn't bother me at all. I just stay on the lane of, are they making good moves? Do they have the capability to make more good moves? Do they have the fundamentals to draft and evaluate and make some good decisions? What's he going to be like when he actually has some salary cap room, which he hasn't had yet. So these are things I would really judge him on this next year. Yeah. And if he tells the first round picks, especially then the arrows up, you know, they have a chance to get better. If he doesn't, well, yeah, I think after next year, or the year after, you'd have a pretty good case for it. But I don't see why you would fire him with four years left on his contract and you're paying him $6 million a year. Right? Why would you do that? I mean, he's sure. still pretty highly regarded executive. And I'm not saying that he's just been awesome because he isn't, and their record is terrible. I don't think they were ever supposed to be very good, and they're just as bad as they were supposed to be. But, you know, he's, he made some competent moves. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I don't go off of – whether he answered a Thanksgiving question right or, you know, that he's friends with Jack Easterby or any of that stuff. I just think a lot of people, they're obsessed and they get off on these tangents. And Sean, quite honestly, it's just, it has nothing to do with how you run a football team. And as far as interviews, most guys don't talk. Like I covered the Baltimore Ravens. Ozzie Newsom is one of the nicest guys ever. He's a Hall of Fame player, Hall of Fame general manager architect of a couple of Super Bowl teams. Ozzy talked once after the season and he, we would get him before the draft. And then in the old days when Art Modell owned the team, I could talk to him more frequently. I just had to, you know, text his uh, text him and he would come down and we'd talk a little bit. He wouldn't really give me a lot, but he would talk. And that was in the old days when we like hung out in the building uh, before, when the Ravens were in the old Indianapolis Colts building, the old mm -hmm. Baltimore Colts, I should say. Mm -hmm. But no, most GMs don't talk in right. season. John Robinson, he didn't do the interviews. You know, and, you know, he was, and that's not why he was fired. It's just, I don't really understand. Maybe you can help me explain it. Well, what is the, what is the, why are people down on Nick? Like, why is this okay. all on Nick? I mean, the coaching search last year was kind of derailed by the Josh McCown thing. I think he could have done a better job of having a better search. I didn't like the way that went. And the year before they came up with this underwhelming choice where they pushed the coaches on to David Cully, hire a guy that's, you know, just really not set up to succeed. Never been a, you know, 
I, if you want to rip them, I would rip them for the hires, for the coaches. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to get out there, you know, because there is, you know, a lot to unpack. You know, mm-hmm. there are all of these things that you're mentioning. People don't have a clear cut understanding. There have been so many enigmatic, mysterious people and moves and decisions and hirings and firings and the timing and the signings and um, all of these things that people just don't understand, myself included. So I do have some more questions that I want to ask you about. First, I want to take a minute uh, for our friends at Houston's longest standing poker club. It's Prime Social Poker Club. They're located at 7801 Westheimer. They've got a longstanding reputation for taking care of their patrons with class and quality. It's uh, not just a poker room. It's a place to hang out with the boys, get a great meal, drinks at their fully stocked bar. They've got pool tables, other games. The venue, of course, has dozens of poker tables itself. Prime Social Poker Club, over 21,000 members. You can become one today yourself. Lifetime memberships begin at $10. Once you join up, you can take part in daily and nightly tournaments, buy-ins ranging from sixty dollars to $5,000. And it's real money, folks. Guaranteed prize money with pots as high as $2 million. It's serious cash from Houston's best and first-class poker club. Open 24-7. It closes only when you leave. They got free play, 10 to 1 daily, happy hour, 4 to 9 every single day. Located at 7801 Westheimer. It's Prime Social Poker Club. Sean Bajani, Aaron Wilson, NFL Insider uh, with you. It's the Houston Football Show. So before we get to... uh, whether or not if there's a quarterback change on the horizon, because we have to discuss that, Aaron, I just, you know, help me, help me, help me understand what, how did, how did we get to Cody? How did we get to Lovey Smith? I don't think people understand whose fingerprints are on decisions like that. Whose idea was it, you know, to bring in a Josh McCown that never um, uh, transpired? Was it Casario? How much of it was Easterby? And I think the concern and the questions pop up in regards to Casario because they don't know these questions. They don't know at what I've point. I've seen all this time. stuff a lot of times, but yeah, I'm happy to to uh, remind anybody. The Josh McCown, the David Cully thing was something where Jack and Nick were looking for someone that they thought would be a good leader, a good person, most importantly to them, to be a steady person that could, you know, kind of be a caretaker for the team as they went through what they expected to be, which what it was a massive roster overhaul. They found some deficiencies in David in terms of game management, uh, how he handled some press situations. And he had an unwillingness to part with staff, most notably Tim Kelly. And that became the end and the quote philosophical differences. And obviously, you know, when you fire someone, you don't really, bash them on their way out the door. If anything, they treated David well in terms of taking a contract that they didn't have to pay off. And they did. And so they, they, you know, he's going to retire. Uh, he hasn't like officially retired, but he's going to retire and got both knees replaced after the season. And I uh, was been working on his health and I expect him eventually to live in Kansas city near his family. Well, what, you know, then the next hiring cycle, you know, they were getting kind of close on Jonathan Gannon with Brian Flores, he had the lawsuit. They didn't really have a very detailed Zoom with him. It was more of just a kind of a catch-up session because they know him very well. And Jack and, and Nick are friends with him from his New England days. And, yeah, you know, Jack, no secret that when he brought in Josh McCown uh, as a player, he had an eye on him as a future leader. And 
not everyone saw it the same way. And it wasn't just Nick that disagreed. It was Cal that, you know, thought the idea that they would get killed for hiring a high school coach. And it was an idea that had some momentum and then they couldn't take it all the way across the goal line. And when they went with Lovey, that was like a compromise that they had him in house and uh, Gannon wasn't too enthused about some of their ideas for how they would handle staff. So there wasn't the full autonomy he was hoping for, but he was never offered the job. You know, he was eliminated from consideration. So mm-hmm. you know, we don't know would he have taken the job if he had been offered. Probably right. so. I mean, he would have taken it. And they just wound up with Lovey. And that was kind of a compromise. And the idea being he would coach the defense still. He would be able to continue what they'd done. And another team that's supposed to be bad, but at least – you know, he has that steady hand, he's experienced, he's respected. And for the most part, other than, I mean, the results of the games, I mean, are they in the games? Yes. Are the game blown out like last year? No. No, they're not. Uh, there's some fundamental things I think some of these players just can't do. And I, I think a lot of that, you know, it's not just him. <clears throat> maybe, maybe it can't be coached. I just think there's a lack of talent. But at the same time, you do want to get a more modern coach with a more modern scheme to take this next step. And that's why I think ultimately the answer is going to be, let's not go forward with him. Let's move to another coach, an offensive coach. And it's going to be three coaches in three years. And I just wonder, you know, how attractive is the job going to be? Even for some of these first timers that are looking to get a job. Yeah. Uh, like some of the guys I mentioned at the start of the, of the podcast. So we'll see, Sean. I really, you know, that that's my cliff notes version of what happened. I've been covered all these coaching searches very closely and, Candidate by candidate, interview by interview. I can say this. There were some guys on the first hiring cycle that were very opposed to not having staff autonomy. That included Jim Caldwell, who had been fairly successful with the Detroit Lions and very good guy, very well respected. Leslie Frazier, who would have also been another retread. Yeah. And so, you know, those guys were not interested in that. And that cut those conversations off. You know, ultimately, that was the end of that. And, and that's how the roads led to David Cully on the first hire. And this next hire, yeah, it, it's really not that complicated what happened. They probably – people say, well, why couldn't they get Kevin O'Connell? Kevin O'Connell and his team basically hid the first interview he did. The second one finally was announced. But I, this was never O'Connell's first choice. And a lot of people, they misunderstand this. They think if you if a guy consented to interview that he wants a job. Right. No, they just want to have options. They don't want to turn people down. People do these interviews. It doesn't necessarily mean that they want the job. It's like, you know, when the coach has options like O'Connell, they're hard to get. They, they would have had to be very committed to O'Connell, throw a ton of money at him, and, you know, I think – to compete with the Vikings, which is a better football situation mm-hmm. by far. <clears throat> I don't know how they could have beat them out for that. But that's one thing I think is a real naive misconception that a lot of fans and some are, you know, press corps have. They're not getting those guys. They've got to find an up-and-comer that can mesh with Nick Casario and Cal McNair and the organization that has some real upside. Yeah. You gotta hope that, you know like some of those guys I mentioned, that they're the real thing. But, you know, I, I've been around all kinds of coaching searches, and I've seen some good ones. 
I've seen some ones where Jason Garrett was, you know, he could have had the, the Ravens job, but he wanted the Cowboys job. They went through some underwhelming interviews with guys like Brian Schottenheimer. And then I'm talking to Steve Bishotti one day at the Ravens building, and he had just talked to John Harbaugh. John was sort of a relative unknown, uh, you know, comes from a famous football family, but John was just a career special teams coach. He had coached DBs. He worked for Andy Reid. He was really highly regarded, you know, in terms of leadership and ability to know personnel and motivate people. But it was like a vibe that, that Bishotti had when he met him, that this guy looks like the coach, feels like the coach, really like him. I mean, he was even talking about the handshake and just everything, like the way this guy's in good shape. This guy's, you know, really uh, <clears throat> like his attitude, like his confidence, mm-hmm. a lot of intangibles. And turned out they got that higher right. <clears throat> and he's still the head coach and he has a Super Bowl ring. So, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, the strength of the organization, but also the vision you have for the coach. And if you don't have a vision for the coach and their leadership potential, then you want to failing, you fall short. And so all these things that they've been doing, I would say are half measures. This hire, they got to get it right. Yeah, 100%, 100%, Aaron. I want to talk a little bit more about that hire and on whether or not there's going to be another quarterback change on the horizon. We'll get to that. Also, Hannah McNair snubbing Deshaun Watson in his return this past weekend and the defense being asked to do unrealistic things. That's all next. It's Houston Football Show. Come out and enjoy Houston's longest standing poker room with a stellar reputation for class and quality Prime Social Poker Club. At Prime, you'll enjoy an upscale social environment, fully stocked bar, gourmet dining, pool tables, dozens of poker tables, and many other fun games throughout the venue. You can also join their over 21,000 members with a lifetime membership for only $10. What are you waiting for? Get into the game. Come join us at Prime Social Poker Club. Inside Edge was founded over 30 years ago as a data and analytics provider for Major League Baseball clubs. If you've seen the movie Moneyball, then you know Inside Edge. They were part of the data and analytics revolution in professional sports. Fans can now have access to the same insights and analytics used by pro teams for free at MyInsideEdge.com. My Inside Edge is a destination for sports bettors and daily fantasy players where they can find matchups, specific insights, and projections to help make informed betting and fantasy decisions. Again, that's MyInsideEdge.com. All right, welcome back. It's the Houston Football Show. Sean Bajani, Aaron Wilson, NFL Insider. Is there going to be another quarterback change? Should there be? You know, you mentioned something a little while ago, Aaron, in regards to Lovey Smith, how he's been a steady hand and how he handles the podium. And there's more of a – these are my words, not yours, but more of a presidential-type uh, presence to him than that of a David Cully from, from last year. But this guy's changed his tune – quite a bit over the course of the last month or so. You know, he got angry at the quarterback questions initially. Then he left the window open for possible change. Then once the change was made and the way that it was made, he said he gives guys time to adapt. Then Monday he left the door wide open again to change once more, even calling what Allen had put on film thus far a quote-unquote horror story. So is it on the horizon? Should it be? How do you see it? Yes and yes. 
It is on the horizon. It is in the works. I do expect it to happen. I am hearing that it will happen, that it will be Davis Mills as the new old, same as the old QB1 after two games with Kyle Allen. The Kyle Allen experiment has not worked and hasn't created a spark, hasn't breathed life into this suffocating <laughs> offense. So it's time to go back to Davis Mills. And they tried it. It didn't work. If you look at the way Lovey's talking about it, and that's not all I'm going off of, mm-hmm. he is completely dissatisfied and he's not seeing what he needs to see. Biggest thing is not protecting the ball. When you give the other team 14 points, you're just giving them the, the you know, giving them these points, not living to fight another day. Nothing he said pointed towards sticking with him. It would be a shock. And everything I'm hearing is that they are making this change. There could be other changes too. Um, it may develop this week, possibly later in the week, but I anticipate, I don't know if he'll announce it. I don't, I can't predict how he'll handle it or if he makes us wait till Friday. I, I don't know, but I know what I know tonight and I expect this thing to happen and for Davis Mills to get the football back and that won't necessarily fix what's wrong with the offense, but there are some throws and some plays that he can make that Kyle Allen didn't look capable of making in the two games he played. And I think they would have had a chance possibly of maybe at least having a closer outcome against the Browns with Davis Mills. I also think it was the right thing to bench him at the time because he clearly was struggling. Yeah. And I think that this time on the bench might help Davis Mills and may have been good for him to take well, a step that, back. Uh... Aaron, isn't that how you try to sell this? I mean, if, if you really need to, or let, let me put it this way. Isn't this how you kind of explain another change at quarterback if you're Lovey Smith and the Texans? That sure. hey, you know, Mills has had a couple of weeks. He's made improvements. But you, you're not the first person I've heard say that, yeah, maybe the Texans get closer or maybe they actually beat the Browns the other day if Mills is quarterback. I mean, you were, you were just about to hit on it. Mills had thrown seven interceptions in his last five games, five straight games with an interception, Allen's four in two games. It's 11 picks in the seven straight games combined. They won't set an NFL record for consecutive games with a pick, but I mean, they can get certainly close. Mills has got to find a way to take better care of the football. And if he does that, then, you know, the way the Texans were hanging with teams within the first month, month and a half of this season, you could kind of stomach that to a degree, but right. it hasn't it hasn't been close. And what I, think I would say is not looking at it as conventionally. I mean, at this point, this season is is long over. <clears throat> the outcome of these games not important. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know that every for these football players, it is because they're out there competing and trying to win. But for the big picture, it does not matter at all. It is more important that they get the first pick. And they will. It's very unlikely that they could lose that position with the schedule they have remaining and the way they're playing. So what I anticipate and what I think they're going to try to do is get the most. I mean, they're playing all the young players pretty much that you can within reason. You know, you're not going to obviously not play your better players like the Laramie Tunsil, the Titus Howards to try like Austin Deculus, for example. But, you know, wouldn't mind seeing him play a little guard. Wouldn't mind right. them teaching him how to play right. center, you know, give, you, give you a bigger center. Uh, these are things, you know, kind of probably won't happen. But, you know, does it make sense for Derek Stingley to get back out there? Maybe not. Uh, you know, we'll see how he feels in a couple weeks. I, I think that he's getting closer to being able to play. 
you know, see if it makes sense. But there's no sense in rushing him out there with a bad hamstring. Right. You're playing like- guys and guys are you know making a few plays. Like Christian Harris, he makes mistakes still, but he looks promising. You yeah. saw him have problems with Nick Chubb in space, but we also saw him penetrate the backfield, make a few plays. Roy Lopez, his best game of the year. Oba Caranco, who's you know not a rookie, but he is a young player. Seeing some good play out of him, and the now that he's a starter. I think he's in a better rhythm. Yeah, but you know these are all ma- marginal things I'm talking about. But that's all they have. Right, they have to figure it out and just try to build some depth at this point and make some evaluation decisions for who do you who are the keepers, who do you want back, and who do you want to pay. Which guys are going to get extensions? There's been a Blake Cashman deal. Have been any others? Don't know if there will be any others right now. It'll probably be some after the season, but you know we'll see. Is there going to be a Larry Tunsil extension? Are they going to just have Titus Howard play into the fifth year? I think they will, but you know they have a lot of big picture choices to make, Sean. And those are the more important things. Not hundred percent. Yeah. Do they play? Do they win this game or win that game? Right. And, but you know, Aaron, here's the thing, and this is what I'm curious about. And you probably know some of this off the top of your head better than uh I do, but you know, similarly to one of maybe the reasons why John Robinson was fired today by the Titans is that, you know, look in large part, a lot of his draft picks didn't make it to a second contract. A lot of the free agent acquisitions didn't stick around. You know, when you're getting good players, yes, the results might be there at the end of the day on the field. And, you know, the Titans are doing things in the playoffs that maybe a lot of people didn't expect. But at the end of the day, you've got to keep people around instead of, you know, trying to uh, swing draft capital or, you know, pay these guys all of this money when you could be developing your own. That's going to be a question here that Nick Casario has got to uh, answer and improve his worth on is keeping guys in house, getting the second contracts and, and finding those players that are going to be a part of a solution for uh, more than just a year or two. Right. Well, you got to earn it. And how many guys can you say really have earned? Yeah. You're these right. New contracts. So, you know, that, that's, that's something that's really, you know, you look at some of the deals they've done, like Christian Kirksey or a Desmond King or Malik Collins. Well, even though those weren't in season deals, they were deals they did pretty closely after the season. And, you know, they, they've made a lot of, you know, deals like that or Tremont Smith, uh, you know, been deserving to stay on the team. And I would definitely say what Nick Cassera runs the meritocracy. I can't think of a lot of guys that he gave money to more than once where you'd say, Oh man, why that guy? I haven't, I haven't felt that way. I felt like, okay, that was justified, mm-hmm. especially Millie Collins. But yeah, there'll, there'll be some guys that he will do something for financially and take care of some people. And I think that's right. That's what you should do. But yeah, if you're talking about what's down the pike, yeah, I mean, you're looking way down the pike. Yeah. Do I think that Damian Pierce, Derek Stingley, and Jalen Petrie will all get second contracts with the Texans? Yeah, if they want them, if they yeah, want to resign. It's trending that way. I mean, really, yeah. It, they yeah, look it's like early, but I'm just telling you, like, you know, when they're eligible, yeah, I'm sure that the organization will try. And then it'll be up to those guys, you know, do I want to play it out? Do I want to? hit free agency. Am I, you know, are they winning? They'll have a lot to do with it. Sure. Do these guys want to come back? Cause it's not just, Oh, we're going to sign you a second deal. You got to take it. No, it's called free agency, free choice. Do I want to come back? 
hundred percent. Hey, Aaron, uh, we've got one more left. And before we get to it, we've got to talk a little bit about the defense and Hannah McNair this past weekend. Okay. Uh, that is coming up next. I want to take a minute, though, for our friends at Inside Edge on the Houston Football Show. We use insights generated by the team at Inside Edge. Those insights have been a game changer in our game analysis. Founded over 30 years ago as a data and analytics provider for baseball clubs. If you've seen the movie Moneyball, you know what Inside Edge is all about. Now fans can access the same insights and analytics used by teams for free at MyInsideEdge.com. It's My Inside Edge. It's a destination for sports bettors and daily fantasy players where you can find matchup-specific insights and projections to help make informed betting and fantasy decisions. And who doesn't want that? It's awesome. Anybody can access the insights for free. Best part is Inside Edge's five-star game picks during the 21-22 season. Just last year, they had a 71% success rate going 34-14 and against the spread. That's hard to beat. You can subscribe today. Use the code HOUSTON. That's HOUSTON in all caps. And you'll get 10% off of your subscription. It's my Inside Edge, myinsideedge.com. So Hannah McNair on Sunday, Aaron, um, after Deshaun Watson came out of the tunnel, uh, did a little quick uh, prayer stretch, ran over to Cal McNair, gave him a bro hug, handshake, and then went on about his business. Upon approaching Cal, though, Hannah did an about face and snubbed Watson, I guess thinking, man, I'm going to make sure. I don't want him coming up to me and trying to shake my hand. I thought that was a really good moment, and I wish I could share with you and everybody else what Hannah actually told me and a few other members of the media following the game, but all I'll say is Houston would be proud. What did you think of that moment? So, Sean, this is Mark. Uh, Aaron dro- took a call and dropped. Uh-oh. So he's got he's – got, uh, he's got uh, – News on the other end of that phone, I'm assuming, for dropping off the show like that. Okay. All right. So we can handle it. Um, I just I'll, – I'll, I'll give you my piece on Hannah McNair. Um, I thought that was awesome. I thought Houston needed to see something like that. I thought it was necessary. Um, because Deshaun Watson coming back this past weekend had nothing to do with the actual football team. The players on the field, there's like seven or eight guys that are still here that were when Watson was around. And I think probably half of them were on the practice squad. Like it it just did not matter. Like if you were expecting players to like get up for Deshaun coming into town, like they're going to get up to play the Dallas Cowboys or something like that, it just wasn't going to happen. This was just about what you watch on your local news station and what they were going to talk about and show you on ESPN or whatever, uh, you know, highlight show. Like, I don't even think they showed a shot of the suite with Tony Busby, who, you know, was supposed to bring 10 women. I, I don't even know anything about that. Like I heard the report and that's it. That was the end of it. I don't think it was mentioned on the broadcast. Um, granted I'm in the press box and watching the game from up there. So I don't have, um, you know, the TV broadcast in front of me. And I was certainly trying, really not trying to go back and rewatch this thing just so I could see a lawyer and uh, his clients in a suite for a few short seconds. But I mean, it was over. And this was all about newspapers and your local TV news station making that a thing. And that was it. 
And that's what you were going to see. So I thought there needed to be cameras on Hannah if there was going to be an interaction or an attempted one. And I thought she played it perfectly. I'm back um, with this, Chuck. Oh, cool. I mean, yeah, do you have news for us? Do you got anything juicy? Uh, I would say <laughs> what I've already reported, what I've already said um, is my expectation. It remains my expectation that Davis Mills gets the football. Oh, did, was was that what your phone call was about? Uh, no, I oh, okay. I can't get into that. Yeah. I know that's what I was asking. If you give us some juicy juicy news or scoop or something like that, no, no it was, it, that's it was unrelated. <laughs> I was telling uh, I was telling our listeners. You're talking about Hannah McNair? Yeah, I was telling our listeners about thought, Hannah McNair. Yeah, what do you, what do you thought, think about that? I thought I thought it was a fantastic uh, move on her part. You know, the about face and the fact that it was caught on camera. I just I was saying I felt like that's what people needed to see because it was far less about what was happening on the field. Like the players, they, they weren't going to get up for Deshaun Watson because he's coming into town. And the ones that were here when he was, they're friends. Well, those are his friends. And um, yeah. uh, see, there's a lot of views about this. So the players view it a lot differently than, than you know, a lot of women do and some other individuals. I would say that that's it, – it's one of those things where it's obviously he's been accused of some very serious allegations. They didn't prove those allegations, you know, in terms of the criminal court. You know, he was never, you know, indicted of any crime. That doesn't mean that he behaved in a great manner. And I think her reaction, all you have to really look at was her shoes. She was representing the Houston Area Women's Center, which helps survivors affected by domestic and sexual violence. Their colors are purple. She wore purple intentionally. She supported that cause. And to think that she would greet Deshaun Watson, after he asked off the team, caused all these headlines, is accused of all these crimes um, or whatever, sexual misconduct, accused of all these allegations, then, you know, yeah, I think it would sort of defy logic. So, you know, that's her right. He wasn't going to greet her, though. That was him talking to Cal. But she was in the vicinity and she did a quick spin. Yeah. And, yeah, it was – I. 100% 100% intentional. Well, but it's but not, no, it's not it was all planned out. It was because I don't think that Cal, Cal reacted pretty quickly to accept the the greeting. And this was someone he was close to at one point. So yeah. um, good that they buried the hatchet and just, you know, can shake hands and, you know, have a, a polite, you know, exchange. And so I respect her position and Cal's. They, you know, as an owner, I don't think snubbing him or having any, you know, anything like that. Uh, Deshaun initiated it. Deshaun put his hand out. He chose to shake his hand. Yes. He didn't, he didn't attempt to shake hands with or, or hug her. You know, that, that's why I think a lot of people are getting you know, a little mixed up. Right. He was talking to Cal. Right. And it was like for – I don't know what his business was like with Hannah. And I won't yeah. speculate. I, I don't know if they, you know, had a, you know, the kind of rapport that he had with others. Who knows? It basically, you know, that's the owner's wife that – yeah. That's she's obviously she's the vice president of the foundation, but I totally respect what she did. Yeah, and you know that's the thing is she didn't have to be fake. She didn't have to hide her feelings. She showed her feelings like many of the fans did, but she did it in a non-confrontational manner. She just turned her back and showed how she felt. Yeah, but and Aaron, I, here's, yeah, here's, I think that's fine. Here's the thing, you know, you're saying she didn't have to hide her feelings. You know, not at all. Cal Cal didn't have to show his and Deshaun Watson kind of put him in a position 
to make him make a decision by approaching him. And I'd be interested to know, and I don't mean to make too much of this, but I, I do kind of find it fascinating because, look, the city in large part has a lot of angst towards Deshaun, and you know, rightfully so. It's understood. But Watson put Cal in the position to where he had to make a decision, and he gets a little handshake, bro hug, whatever, okay. good luck. I don't think it's that bad. Who's to say, if, who's to say yeah. McNair would have ever approached Watson at any point? No, he wouldn't have. Yeah. I, right. You know, sometimes – I think a lot of this, so Cal, he took a lot of heat when Deshaun wanted to be traded. This is before the allegations surfaced. And people were wondering, well, should he go and fly and meet with Deshaun? Deshaun was actually in Cabo San Lucas on vacation. That was something that I was asked a lot about at that time. Should he go see him? And a lot of people were like, no, he shouldn't have to. He's the owner. He's the boss. He shouldn't have to do that. And he didn't. So, you know, I don't think it would have turned Deshaun. I think he felt how he felt about the organization. I've had people that worked for the Texans say they understood completely why Deshaun Watson went out and respected his feelings. Where it's eroded in terms of respect levels because of the allegations, but he wasn't wrong about the state of the team and some of the decisions they made. As much as that may hurt some of the fan base, you know, to feel or the organization, it was, you know, he was being honest. The thing where I have a problem with, it's the same thing that a lot of people have a problem with, is he took the money, knowing that they were the organization that traded DeAndre Hopkins and then made these other, you know, lopsided trades. And that's where I look at it and say, okay, but you shouldn't have signed. You should have just let your contract expire. You know, kind of like a Lamar Jackson deal. Yeah. But I understand the position. You know, they're offering you the money. You think you can live with it? You like living here? You got teammates you want to play with? What made it unbearable? The like the final straw? Yeah. What made it unbearable? You know, he alluded to the power. Uh, you know, I, I think he was clearly talking about Jack Easterby. He talked about Jack. I think the relationship with those guys had eroded some, but that wasn't the final thing. It's a, it's a really everything I've heard from people that have talked to Deshaun, heard his perspective. It's an accumulation of many things. The final straw was he thought he was going to have input into the coaching search and the general manager search. He thought there was going to be more communication. He was finding out on Twitter. And when he found out on Twitter about the stereo hire, he wasn't given a heads up. He wasn't being treated like a partner of the organization, like as a franchise quarterback, which is what he hoped to be treated like. That was it. That was the last thing that kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. That was it. Well, that's going to do it for us, Aaron, man. Good stuff, as always. Uh, I, I could talk to you about about this stuff, just the timeline of the last four years with the Houston Texans for hours at nauseum. But uh, I will uh, pause it, and uh, I'll holler at you in about 15 hours. Uh, All right. Good to talk to you. Good stuff, Aaron. He's Aaron Wilson, NFL insider, covers the Texans for KPRC Local 2, Sean Bajani with Sports Radio 610. In for Jason Braddock, it's the Houston Football Show. Before we get you out of here, take a few moments and listen to our title sponsor and our partners from Prime Social and Inside Edge. Have a good night, everybody. 
Prom Social Poker Club opens daily at 10 a.m. and doesn't close until the last person leaves. Now, that's 24-7, 365 days a year, so you can always get your poker game on at Prime. Also, daily, free play starting at 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. with happy hour from 4 to 9 p.m. They have daily and nightly tournaments with buy-in starting as low as $60 and going as high as $5,000. Now, check this out. Guaranteed prize money as large as $2 million. What are you waiting for? Get in the game. Prime Social Poker Club here locally in Houston, 7801 Westheimer. We've told you about the endless insights at Inside Edge, but let us tell you about the real gold mine. They're five-star picks. And in the 2021 NFL season, Inside Edge went 34 and 14 against the spread for a success rate of 70.8. And now you have access to these five-star picks for only $20 per pick or get the deal of the lifetime. Every five-star pick for the entire year for only $149. Even better, our listeners get a discount of 10% on that access by using code Houston. That's code Houston. This has been the Houston Football Show, brought to you by Prime Social Poker Club and Inside Edge.